0: Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshe Amitt Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Kitavo, the art of storytelling, and the people of the story. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. I was wondering. Um, I know you've read all my books from. Uh, I I actually have cover to cover. Yeah. Really, well, I actually have. You, you get the, you get a merit badge for that.
1: I've been searching for your college essays, but I've been, been un, <laughs> unsuccessful.
0: Wow, uh, but true. but I but I, I I actually have read all of your books. Wow, thank you so much. That's really sweet. Um, that means a lot to me. Uh, but I wonder if you notice that very often I don't start in the beginning in my books. You know, I uh, I don't like and I think a lot of people when they read especially a biography, they don't like to to dive into the ancestry right away. It can be it can be really dull to, to read about grandparents and great grandparents not knowing, um, you know, what the subject of the story is even going to be yet, except for the fact that, you know, his name is probably on the cover of the book. But um, I always try to find a way to, to jump in fast, to tell you something, you know, a, a peak moment in their lives. And then I'll try to sneak in the ancestral stuff a little bit later. And I wonder if, um, if if you have any thoughts on, you know, if you can guess why I feel that way about it.
1: When I work with Bar Mitzvah uh, kids and we talk about their divray Torah, one of the things we talk about is not making it feel like a book report. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, my portion is Kitavo. And in it, Moses does this. I said once you hear that, you sort of you know, it, it it doesn't it doesn't bring you in. And it kind of feels like when I read your books that you've piqued my imagination and my interest. And so I want to know more. And so you've kind of given me something that's gonna draw me in.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I tried to get a little hook in you, and then I'll say, okay, now that I've got your attention, um, let me tell you a little bit about the grandparents and the great-grandparents. Before I – I promise I'll get you back to our story, to our to our hero really soon. But I've come to believe over the years, as I've been doing this a while, that those grandparent stories are really important. And um, as, as much as I like to try to get through them quickly, they can't be ignored. It's really important to understand where we come from and um, – even if the lines are not always clear, even if it's not you know a straight line from point A to point B, it's important to understand the character's context, and, and, I, and I hope that readers have some patience for that.
1: Absolutely. But what I'm also hearing is the difference between a biography, the facts and figures of a person's life, and the story of a person's life. And what I love about your writing is that you're a wonderful, wonderful storyteller. And so I'm actually reading the story of Lou Gehrig's life or the story of Muhammad Ali's life. And or I'm looking forward to to hearing your understanding of the story of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. But I think that that's the kind of secret sauce of Jonathan Eig, And when you write, I think that that comes through.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I guess the, the thing that i try to keep in mind is that, and I think what you're saying is right, that I'm the storyteller here. It's Martin Luther King's story. It's it's Muhammad Ali's story. But uh, everybody would tell the story differently. And, and, and we bring some of our own identity into shaping those stories. So what is it that I want to Emphasize. What point do I want you to make and understand? What lens am I viewing his his life through? And the next biographer might take a different approach. So there's a lot of context involved.
1: Absolutely. And I want to say, and I know you'll laugh when I say this, I also think, Jonathan, that that's a very Jewish thing that you're doing. <laughs> all right it was only a matter of time before that was going to come out in this podcast but and in this week's is. portion <laughs> right, right exactly <laughs> back to the book report and this week's portion by the go. way kitavot is you know tells the ultimate story kitavot means when you come when you come to the land when you enter the land of israel here's moses kind of contextualizing this moment moses is standing on one side of the jordan river and one side of the landmass, and he's looking over at the promised land, at the land that was promised to Abraham, that that the people is about to enter. And he's imagining with them what it's going to be like. And he's imagining when these people bring their first fruits, the first growth of fruit and vegetation, and they're going to come and tithe it and bring it to the temple as an offering to God and to give thanksgiving, How are they going to do that? Are they going to create magnificent psalms? Well, yes, they're going to thank God. But what this portion is going to do is say, well, here's exactly what you're going to say. My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down with meager numbers. And it's telling the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, going down into Egypt and God taking us out of Egypt with a strong right arm because this story is actually the basis of the Haggadah. This is the Jewish story. And so in a way, to be Jewish, it's, it's not enough to say, thank you, God, for this fruit. Thank you, God, for this barley that, that just grew in the ground. You have to locate yourself in the larger Jewish story. You know, that's the secret sauce of Judaism. It's the power of the story. And unless we locate ourselves in the story, then we're really sort of missing something.
0: Wow, I I love that. And I love the idea that maybe some of deep down my um, feelings and instincts for telling stories comes from my my Jewish studies, uh, which have you know, obviously been a big part of my life for as long as as I've been studying anything. I've been studying the Torah, you know, as a kid and now with you as an adult. So I love the fact that it's it's seeping in in ways that I haven't even thought about. Uh, And it's so interesting because when you were telling that story about the reaping of the harvest, I was thinking about Martin Luther King. I began my book, The First Draft, with a story of his grandfather and great-grandfather taking their cotton in Stockbridge, Georgia, to the market and being completely abused and mistreated by the white landlord that they were working for and how Martin Luther King's grandfather became deeply embittered by this and actually had to flee his land because he was so angry that he could no longer work for these white people uh, who had mistreated him. And I was planning to open the book with that story and I showed it and talked about it with a really prominent religious scholar, uh, someone who's written books about King's faith, professor Louis Baldwin and he challenged me. He said, "Is that really the theme of King's life that his you know his grandfather was deeply wounded by racism, but he turned away from his religion. It's King's mother who embraced religion when she suffered in this way King's grandmother, I should say, who embraced religion, who kept her faith when she went through all this suffering. And wouldn't it be more appropriate to open a book on Martin Luther King, one of our great prophets, with a story of his grandmother who who, through her suffering, Stuck to her faith and drew sustenance from her from her religion, maybe that 's the person to open your book with as opposed to his grandfather and It had a really deep, profound effect on me I think he was he was absolutely right, and I had chosen the wrong origin story for Martin Luther King first of all, thank you for sharing that that's fascinating
1: and at the same time, what I was thinking about as you were talking was you could have started with a story of the humiliation and degradation of Martin Luther King's grandfather and the fact that he became embittered as a result of that. And not that anyone could possibly blame him for that, but that the story is, but, and, but you, you uh, were encouraged to look at the meta story, the story that the grandmother is, is telling through religion the story writ large, that we're, started, we're part of something larger. We're part of a march towards redemption. Uh, it's a long and arduous march, but redemption is waiting for us. That's the essence of religion, whether it's Christianity, Islam, Judaism. There is an end to all of this, and it's a positive one, and we can get there. With The grandfather's story is sort of stuck. It's not going to move forward. This story of the grandmother is, you know, shows the vision of King and ultimately his attachment to the prophetic message.
0: Absolutely. And, and he said many times that suffering was redemptive. And I struggled for a while to understand that. And I think what he's saying is that to, to, to have faith through your suffering draws you closer to God and gives you stronger belief that, that there is a reason for your suffering. I just want to get
1: back to the Jewish story for a minute because it has something to say to this wider conversation. Who were the descendants of Abraham and Sarah? They were slaves, not all that different from Martin Luther King's grandfather. They were transformed into the lowest of the low in Egypt. They were non-humans. They were seen as, as animals, and they were bitter. They were angry. Not all that different than Dr. King's grandfather. And when Moses comes on the scene, they turn him away. They don't want to rock the boat. Let's just kind of get along here. I, I don't want to take a risk here. Who's going to destroy the Egyptian? The Egyptians were the greatest force in the world. And Pharaoh was seen as a god. And it's plain as day that this is our plight. Nothing's ever going to change that. And yet the story that we tell when these people are bringing their first fruits is that, in fact, God acted in history, and changed the trajectory of not just the Jewish people but of humankind. That there's not a people in the world that doesn't gain hope from this story, and in, in a sense, that's the story that that uh, Dr. King's grandmother was telling. It's a story that, that that's part of this. The story of Moses and the children of Israel, the story that these people told when they were bringing in their first fruits. This is the story that we locate ourselves in. And I think that's
0: a positive. Yeah, slavery is at the heart, at the foundation of these religions, of these experiences. And it's at the heart of our identity that we were brought out of slavery. And that defines everything. It defined everything for the African-American experience and certainly for, for King's um, work in, in the civil rights movement. It's, it's at the core of his identity and his work and his effort to rebuild, to transform, to, um, to redeem.
1: Right. In 1950s America, what person of color could hope for a better future, right? Especially in the South, but not only in the South. The fix was in. How could you possibly think that things are going to change? I think only if you're willing to locate yourself in a larger story can you possibly
0: get to that point.
1: And I think that's exactly what happened here with King.
0: And you look at it and you can see how by 1950 he thinks that he can do something because when his grandfather was abused and his grandmother stayed and continued to raise her family, what happened? Um, Martin Luther King Sr., decides he's not gonna stick around for more of this abuse from the landlord. He's going to move to Atlanta. And what does he do when he gets to Atlanta? Well, there aren't that many jobs where a black man can really be his own man. He becomes a preacher. And that's one job where the black man does have control of his own fate. And as a result of that, he embraces the religious faith even more deeply. And he raises a family with some security and raises them with these values these values that we've been talking about, that we have a responsibility to our people, not only to worship God, but to improve our Latin life and to overcome this, this mistreatment, to overcome the effects of slavery and segregation. And, and that's what Martin Luther King is raised with. So you can draw such a direct line from um, his grandmother and his grandfather to, to his civil rights work.
1: I just want to raise this story up because what what his grandfather does is he takes his anger... And he ultimately applies it to a larger story. So he evolves by changing his profession. He becomes a preacher. And so he can tell that story. And then he passes that story down to the next generation, along with the grandmother, and the next generation. And then you have have King, right? That's right. It's
0: It's, it's it's empowerment and it's religious faith. It's both at the same time.
1: Right. That's the power of a story. And I guess the challenge that we face in every generation is, how do we make that story relevant? How do we tell the story in a way that speaks to the younger
0: generation? That, I think, is the real challenge of the day. It is and I would suggest that you know we don't have to look that far back in history, you know when we're kids when we're young, we think twenty five years ago fifty years ago was a was a lifetime that it was forever, but it's not look at your grandparents and why they lived where they lived, why they worshiped the way they worshiped. If your grandparents are still around, ask them you know when did when did your people come here from this to mm-hmm. america mm-hmm. Uh, Why did they continue to be Jewish? Uh, What did it mean to you, right? The answers are really powerful, and it's not that long ago. It's not that long ago, exactly,
1: right? We'll continue to tell the story. Thank you, Jonathan. This was a wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to uh, continue to reading your stories. Thanks. I appreciate it.